Hello, this is Dr. David Wolf coming to you from Bensonville Bible Church at 280 South York Road, Bensonville, Illinois. We are a church where pretty much everybody knows your name. The word that God has for us today comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. There's also a companion passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 21 through 30. We want to keep foremost in our minds as we look at the story that's before us that this is part of the message of the gospel of the kingdom mentioned in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. We do not want to lose sight of that great truth. Jesus was now in his final year of ministry. He takes his disciples to a city of Tyre, a Gentile territory. In doing so, he demonstrated that God's kingdom knows no ethnic or racial or national or gender barriers. In the story, he meets up with a Gentile woman in total desperation, seeking him out because her daughter was being cruelly tortured by a demon. The story wraps up with Jesus saying to this woman, woman, your faith is great, and it shall be done to you as you wish, or done for you as you wish, Matthew 15, 28. Think about that for a moment. Despite her overwhelming anguish, Jesus says to her, you have great faith. That is an unbelievable combination, anguish, distress, and great faith. There are thousands of people who are said to have walked with God in the Bible, but only a few are commended for their faith. Here is a woman swamped by despairing circumstances, and in the midst of all of the despairing circumstances, Jesus says to her, you have great faith. Oh, that it could be said of us that in the midst of our anguish that we also have great faith. I've entitled our study today, the power of mega faith. Because of COVID seemingly rebound, Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram are our chosen means of gathering together. With your Bibles open to Mark chapter seven, verses 24 through 30, along with your study guide sent out and perhaps a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or even a cup of warm milk, let's take an in-depth look at the word that God has given to us for this day. In this section, Jesus leaves Capernaum and heads off to Tyre, roughly a 35 to 40 mile hike. No speeding cars here, no buses, no trains. It's all done by walking, walking, and more walking. Makes me kind of tired just thinking about all the walking that is going on. Tyre was a major seaport located in modern day Lebanon. The city was a major center of economics and the worship of the fertility goddess Astarot and a major center of Baal worship propagated by none other than Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 18. In Tyre, Jesus was met up by a, a Syrophoenician woman who would have been considered in that day as unclean by the religious establishment. But Jesus was on a mission to intentionally fulfill God's plan to seek and to save the lost, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus did not passively wait for sinners to come to him, but he intentionally went out after them, crossing over ethnic and racial and gender barriers that he may accomplish the seek and to save the lost. In Luke chapter 15, verses one through seven, Jesus weaves a story about a man who loses one of his sheep and leaves the whole herd to find that sheep that was lost. He concludes the story with these words. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. 
Throughout the gospel stories, Jesus taught his disciples and us in the 20th century that no man or woman is too sinful or too far gone to be saved. An example of this is a Syrophoenician woman who's consumed in desperation to rid her daughter from the grip of demonic, uh, demonic powers. The faith of this woman stands in stark contrast to the unbelief of the Pharisees and the scribes and even, get this, outshines the faith of the 12 disciples at this point in their lives. Let's take a moment and ask God to give us insight as to the faith struggles that we all have. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've given to us to open your word. We ask that you give us discernment as to the faith needed to live for you. Thank you for the clarity and encouragement and hope your word brings. In Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles open, uh, follow along as I read the story given to us in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, the word that God has for us today. Jesus got up, verse 24, and went away from there, that is Capernaum, to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, and yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she came back and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table on the, eat, the table under the the, eat the crumbs under the table. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed, the demon gone. Verse 24. Jesus leaves Capernaum and heads for the region of Tyre. Of course, our curious minds want to know, why did Jesus hike off to Tyre? And I'm glad that you have a curious mind that you've asked that. Jesus loves parables and real-life object lessons. So he brings his disciples to the city of Tyre to give them an object lesson about ethnicity and, I might say, a lesson about faith in a way that they had not seen. Kent Hughes reminds us that Jesus had just come off of a huge clash with the religious establishment over the whole issue of ritual defilement, arguing that externals do not defile a person, but what is within makes a person unclean. From Ray Stedman, Jesus was now illustrating in terms of people groups what he had just said in the previous verses about food. There, all foods are clean. Here, all peoples are clean in the sense of being acceptable to God. As there are no defiling foods, so there are no defiling people groups. To illustrate, Jesus brings the disciples to a Gentile city to challenge their Jewish scruples on ethnicity. I believe here Jesus forms the roots for the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go into all the world. For the gospel of the kingdom is the power of God to all people everywhere who believe, Romans 1.16. When Jesus arrives in Tyre, he seeks out a place to stay unnoticed. But there was no privacy, verse 25. Soon after arrival, a local woman heard of his whereabouts and came to seek him out. Now don't miss this. The drama here is rich. 
Mark and Matthew highlight the incredible racial, cultural, and gender, and demonic boundaries that stood as a divide between this woman, Jesus, and the disciples. Now, what do we know about this woman? We're not told the woman's name, but a careful look at both Mark and Matthew's account, we are given some insight as to this woman. Verse 25, she has a little daughter with an unclean spirit. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, we're told that the demon was especially cruel to this little girl, and by simple association, it had been cruel to her mom. Verse 26, this woman was a Gentile or a Greek of the Syrophoenician race. In verse, chapter 15, verse 22 of Matthew, he describes her as a Canaanite, which places her clearly outside of the nation of Israel. Now here in Mark and Matthew, they also tell us that she was very distraught. In Mark's account, verse 26, she was like a dripping faucet. She would not be silenced. It was so disturbing, Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, the disciples implored Jesus saying, send her away because she just keeps shouting at us. The reason why she was relentless and shouting was because Jesus seemed to be ignoring her, Matthew 15, verse 23. Her life and her home must have been a whirlwind of satanic mayhem. Because Tyre was a center of idol worship, most likely she had already spent numerous hours trying to appease the idol gods to no avail. She comes to request, and so what is her request that she gives to Jesus? She hears that Jesus is in town, and she rushes madly through the streets to the house. Upon arriving, she began to just cry out loudly. There was no introductions here. She began to cry out loudly, Matthew 15, 22, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. It is striking how she addresses Jesus. Notice she addresses him as Lord, son of David. She was articulating clearly her understanding of Jesus' identity, the promised Messiah. Her words stand in total contrast to the Pharisees and scribes in the previous section. You don't want to miss this. This is a Gentile. Get this. This is a Gentile, someone outside of the nation of Israel at that time, announcing to the disciples and to everybody around this is the Messiah. Now, how did Jesus respond to this woman in her pleas? In response to her pleas, Matthew tells us that Jesus did not answer a, a single word. Verse 23 of Matthew 15. His silence must have aggravated her all the more, resulting in her shouting all the louder at Jesus and the disciples standing in the background. Ray Pritchard writes, Nothing terrifies us more than the silence of heaven. It happens to all of us from time to time. We wait, we pray, we seek the Lord. And yet the heavens seem so tightly closed. When that happens, we must not let our feelings rule our hearts. Even though Jesus did not speak immediately to this Canaanite woman, he heard everything she had to say about her plight and about her daughter. She had a burden, and she intended to drive that burden home right into the very heart of Jesus where he would not forget her. John MacArthur points out for us that in Jesus' silence, he was illustrating a vital spiritual point, both for her 
and for his disciples, putting on total display the robustness, character of her faith. Now, back to Mark chapter 7, we pick up the interaction between her and Jesus. Verse 27. Jesus finally, out of all of this, we don't know how long this went on, but he finally responds to her pleas. And he says to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now talk about a tough conversation. Jesus appears so callous with what is going on and to her plight. First, he is silent, appearing to ignore her which most likely drove her and the disciples a tad nutty, obviously because they asked Jesus to shut her up. But she refuses to let Jesus' silence turn her away. She's like a dripping faucet. She won't quit until she gets an answer. The second, when Jesus finally breaks silence, he seems rather rude and uncaring. Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You don't want to miss this truth that Jesus is putting to us. He is actually probing her heart. He does this by contrasting her cry for help and his mission. His mission was the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 15, 24. He's telling her straight up that his first priority was the children of Israel. In Matthew, the children refer obviously to the Jews. But here in Mark's context, it possibly could refer to imply the 12 disciples. When he said to her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, the Greek word for dog here is not referring to a monstrous dog like a German shepherd or bigger dog, but to a puppy, a small little tiny dog like our 20th century lap dogs who entangle themselves around our chair and table legs and feet. In context, Jesus implies that this woman was interrupting his purposes for being entire. He had come to spend time with teaching his disciples and not to do miracles for a woman who was not even a Jew. He was not insulting her, but instead saying that she should wait for God's appointed time when the Gentiles would receive the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew tells us that in the midst of the dialogue, chapter 15, verse 25, in exasperation, she falls to her knees before Jesus and pleads out to him, Lord, just help me. Just help me, Lord. She refuses to allow Jesus to dissuade her. She comes back to him. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. This amazing woman is absolutely amazing. We would be offended, but she is not. She graciously accepts what Jesus said and what then comes right back at him. Yes, I'm a little dog, so I get some of the children of Israel's crumbs. I love Martin Luther's words. She catches Jesus with his own words. This is so powerful. Essentially, she was saying, even though I am undeserving, can I please have a scrap? I know that you are the Son of God, and, though you all, and through you all things are possible. This is absolutely a fascinating moment. Here we have a Gentile woman who clearly understood Jesus' words. She was not offended, but in them she found hope. I think of Mary, Jesus' mother, back in the early days as a 14-year-old teenager. She wrote a song and sang it in celebration in Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. In celebration of her being chosen by God for his purposes, she sings these words in verse 53. 
God has fulfilled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. This Syrophoenician woman was one very hungry woman. Write these words down. The Lord celebrates a hungry, desperate faith. Get this. The Lord celebrates a hungry, desperate faith, a violent faith, if you please, a faith that doesn't let go. It persists against all odds. Well, how does Jesus interact with her? He says to her, because of your answer, the demons have gone out of your daughter. Matthew's account, on the other hand, ends with a much more powerful punchline, verse 28 of Matthew 15. Oh, woman, your faith is great, and it should be done, it shall be done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now, listen carefully. When Jesus said, great is your faith, he used a Greek word that carries the idea of mega. He was saying, in fact, woman, you have mega faith. This is the only time Jesus ever said this to describe someone's faith. Mark this down. He said this to a Gentile and not to a Jew. He said this to a woman and not to a man. He said this to an outsider, not to an insider. And he said this to a pagan who believed and not to a priest. Let's pause here and highlight a few things that we can learn from this story. The focus of the story is all about the woman's faith, described by Jesus as mega faith. There is no doubt about it, this Gentile Syrophoenician woman, Canaanite woman, was one persistent woman. Persistence has its place, but in this story, that is not what caught Jesus' attention. In addition, it wasn't her persistence that broke the demonic grip on her daughter. In light of this Gentile Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, how does your faith and how does my faith stack up? Well, let's take a moment and zero in on what I am calling five mega faith truth fighters. Here's the first one. First, spiritual combat calls for mega faith. We can think of a lot of circumstances that call for mega faith. But in context, this woman was in a real spiritual battle. Somehow a demon had gotten a grip on her daughter. The point is, when we are in spiritual battle, mega faith is absolutely necessary. Think about this. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our battles are not with people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This woman was really stressed out because there was a real live demon in her house. And somehow, we're not told how, but this demon had taken over her daughter and thereby taken over her house. Matthew tells us this was a particularly cruel demon. This woman was in a continual, terrifying spiritual battle, taking her beyond her natural abilities. And somehow over the past two years of Jesus' ministry, she had come to believe that if anyone could fix her problem, it would be Jesus. Naturally, word had come up from, Drew, from Capernaum and the other places where Jesus had ministered about him dealing with spirits. And this distressed mother exemplifies for us that when it comes to spiritual warfare with the demonic world, 
We need mega faith in Jesus, the Son of God. If we are ever to experience real-time deliverance from the enemy's terrorizing grip in our lives and in our heart. The second uh, truth uh, for us is that mega faith is the foundation stone of prayer perseverance that overcomes discouragement and difficulties. Mega faith produces prayer perseverance. She didn't give up, even though initially Jesus seemingly turns a deaf ear to her. She continually persisted, pleading again and again and again for Jesus to heal her daughter. Her pleas illustrate for us what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. For there he said this, Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. This Syrophoenician woman is faithfully asking. She's seeking. She's knocking. She's pulling at God's heartstrings through the right course of action. Our prayers are often too short in length and, they're, and not long enough. The Syrophoenician woman hung in there despite Jesus' silence, despite the disciples trying to drive her out of the way, and despite Jesus' seemingly callousness towards her. Her mega faith propelled her on forward. Third, mega faith freely surrenders circumstances to God. Rodney Fry captures this aptly when he writes, Mega faith throws itself at the feet of Jesus. This was an act of submission, carrying the idea of total abandonment to the purposes and plan and the power of God. She didn't come with her own plan, and she didn't ask Jesus to bless her own plan if she had even had one. She just simply said, Lord, I give you my burden to you. It's frightening to give up control. But when we yield control to our Christ and our Savior, freedom comes and follows through. It is so easy to get upset and shake our fists at God. When things aren't going right, we should, ins insist, at, we should insist, we should instead ask Him for help to change our circumstances. Let Him take the wheel and trust what He's going to do. As demonstrated by this uh, Syrophoenician Canaanite woman, Mega faith knows that no matter the situation in our lives or someone else's, God can resolve the issues at hand. That's the power of mega faith. Fourth, mega faith is characterized by humility. This Syrophoenician woman was extremely humble as we watch her interact with Jesus. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read the story about a father by the name of Naaman, a leper, and the commander of the Syrian army. And he was told to meet up with Elisha for healing. Now, Elisha told him when he showed up to go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times and he would be healed. However, Naaman had a problem dipping in the Jordan River because it was muddy. What he wanted was a majestic healing, not a dipping in a dirty Jordan River. In fact, if it wasn't for his servant, he wouldn't have done it anyway. Naaman's attitude stands in stark contrast to this Canaanite woman in chapter 7 of Mark. This woman was ready to do anything and accept everything with humility from her God without question and without challenging. She just wanted help. Fifth, 
Mega faith is centralized on the word of Christ. This Gentile Syrophoenician Canaanite woman took Jesus at his word. She believed in the reality of God. And because of that belief, she sought him out intentionally. And in doing so, that intentional sought pleased God. Just as Hebrews 11.6 states it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And that, my friends, is absolutely true. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we fall so short of you and your mission. The world we live in is so very needy and hurting. Burden us to sow your word earnestly that we may see a harvest. Take away our sin. Take away our scholarly unbelief and doubt. Take away our fears of what people would think of us and anoint us with power afresh to sow your eternal word. And like your disciples of old, serve you to the ends of the earth until you come in your holy name. We pray these things. Amen. Well, as you go this week, I want you to keep uppermost in your mind the story of this Gentile, Syrophoenician, Canaanite woman's mega faith. It was a faith that held no pompous merit. It was a faith that surrendered her total anxiety at the feet of Jesus. It was a faith that was characterized by humility, and it was a faith that was centralized on the truth of the word of Christ. Hey, if you are on YouTube, give us a little encouragement by becoming a subscriber. And if you are on Facebook, encourage us by tapping the like button. Well, keep COVID germs front center in your thinking. Illinois has passed the positivity rate of 11. So wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your measurable distance, build your immunity with your vitamins, and eat your vegetables. And don't forget, God's got you no matter. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting up again with you next week's posting. So be sure to tune in next week for a continued study of Mark chapter 7.